Well, this, this Advent season, Trinity is following the lectionary texts, which is a somewhat common scenario for us in this church. We follow the lectionary from time to time, and the lectionary is a series of scriptures that churches are looking at all around the world. And so this text will be read out loud today in many churches throughout this country, but throughout the entire world. And we will be looking at Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Listen now to God's word. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the gift of God's word. Join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My brother-in-law and I became first-time dads at about the same time a few years ago. Our children were only born a few months apart, and while our spouses were pregnant, my brother-in-law, we had this thing where we tried to share as much information about the forthcoming of becoming a dad with each other. We would share all these resources with one another. My brother-in-law went to a new dad's group, and inside the new dad's group, they had created a Google document that they shared amongst each other with best wisdom of what it's like to be a dad. And my brother-in-law shared this document with me. It was a treasure trove of rich information that I was very thankful for. And within this Google document, there was a section for connecting with other dads over social media. And one of the things that said that you could be a part of was different dad groups on Facebook to join. Seeing those groups, I thought, nah, I don't need to do this. But then curiosity piqued my interest. What goes on in a dad's group on Facebook? So I joined one of these dad's groups and joining this group has been one of the most interesting social experiments of my life, <laughs> truly. What's interesting is that there's dads from all over this country, but it's also international. And so it's allowed me to get a window into parenting and being a father beyond just my Bay Area bubble. I get to hear about what normal dads are dealing with in their lives. Sometimes being a pastor, it, um, it makes us innocuous to to the real things that people are going on in their lives. It's like people only bring us their best self stuff. But in this Facebook group, I get to see kind of the nitty gritty of what being a dad is like. 
And also, it's oddly very, very vulnerable. I remember a photo that somebody posted a few months ago. It was a dad who took a picture of himself inside of his home, and it was an empty room behind him, and he shared this story about how he and his wife just separated, and his two children just left him, and he was all alone inside of his house now, and he had no one to tell this to except for this random group of strangers on a Facebook group. It was profoundly vulnerable. And yet, it's also just full of humor and simple tips like what to do about sleep, what to do about changing diapers, some of those things you would expect. But I think one out of every 15 posts in the group goes something like this. It goes something like this. Hey, dads, my baby is two months old, and even though I help with diaper changes and feeding and other stuff, I simply just don't feel connected to my child. I don't feel like I have a loving relationship with my two-month-old yet. I wonder, do any of you have the same kind of experience? One out of 15, this comment is just as common as the other comments, like about sleep and other simple things. And as I've heard this comment about not feeling connected to children, I've asked other parents about this too. Do moms feel this way? Do parents of different kinds of dynamics feel this similar kind of way that they may not have an immediate connection, immediate loving relationship with their children as well. If we examine this question of, I don't feel loving connection with my child yet, perhaps it seems like there's an assumption that we are supposed to have a loving relationship and that it should happen somewhat quickly between parent and child. It should be inherent, perhaps. But maybe these expectations are somewhat unrealistic, that love and connection between parent and child, maybe they're not so immediate, maybe they're not so inherent. But perhaps love and connection come at an unexpected hour. And this is exactly what many of the parents said in there. Sometimes love and connection forms at an unexpected hour. Coming at an unexpected hour is exactly what our scripture is all about. This text that you just heard me read from the Gospel of Matthew it's part of a much longer discourse between Jesus and his disciples. These are the final days leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, and he's doing ministry in Jerusalem, and Jesus was in the temple, and he walks outside of the temple, and he begins to have a conversation with his disciples. And Jesus starts to tell his disciples all sorts of things. It goes on chapter after chapter after chapter. Jesus starts to foretell of things to come, destruction of the temple, persecution, lessons from the fig tree, and then he tells them about the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man is an interesting concept in the Gospels, and I think it can be often very confusing. It occurs all the time. There's at least 80 plus references to the Son of Man. And while it's so common, I know that when I'm reading the Bible, and perhaps some of you do this too, you just substitute in your mind son of man for Jesus. You think this is too complex, this is too confusing perhaps. Yet the writers use son of man to get our attention to specific parts of Jesus's ministry. And Jesus is referencing himself in some strange ways that I think can be hard for us to grasp with. But when we hear the word son of man, it usually means one of three things. It usually means that, one, it's possibly referring to Jesus's earthly and humble condition, son of man, instead of emphasizing the more glorious aspects of Jesus being son 
of God. Two, it could possibly mean that it's about Jesus' coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. Or three, it could be about Jesus' future coming in glory to act with power at final judgment. And in this passage, we see that this is what this is about. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour to act in final judgment. Matthew references a few stories to amplify this idea of the Son of Man coming at an unexpected hour. And perhaps one of the stories that's most known to us is Noah and the ark. I know for many of us, we love this story, especially the really nice parts of the story in Sunday school. And I know one of my favorite child songs for Sunday school is about Noah and the ark. It goes something like this. Maybe some of you know this. It goes like this. The Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Lord told Noah to build him an arky, arky. Build it out of the barky, barky children of the Lord. See, that's fun and it has a nice tempo to it. It puts a smile on your face. You look at the beautiful artwork and you think, ah, oh, Noah and the ark. The arky arky does not sound scary, not at all. Yet the story is frankly terrifying in Matthew's gospel. What if Noah did not build the ark? Then it wouldn't just be everyone else that swept away in the flood, but it would have also been Noah and everything, all the animals, everything would have been destroyed as a result of the sin that had taken place in that time. And Matthew says, for as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come at an unexpected hour. In some ways, this has been a strange year for ministry in the life of Trinity. Some things are doing really, really well in the life of this church. Women's Bible study on Thursday morning, there's been great small group ministry, middle school ministries doing really well, and then there's some other ministries that are oddly not doing so well at all and are having a difficult time this year. And one of those has been children's ministries and some of the events we've had with children's ministry. And earlier this year, a few months ago, uh, we ended up canceling Trunk or Treat for a variety of reasons. It's a holiday-themed activity, and it was a lot of fun when we did it last year. And there was a bunch of reasons that went into this and why the event ended up getting canceled. Um, but a piece of it was that we just didn't have enough people volunteer to be part of the decorating of the cars. And there was a lot of difficulties that went into deciding to cancel this event. There's a lot of nuance there and what led to that happening. But afterwards, I heard a lot of feedback from people in the community and one of the things I heard from the community over and over and over again was they didn't feel like they heard the urgency of the need for that event. As in, had they known prior to the canceling of the event just how urgent it was to have more cars, perhaps they could have done something. If they would have had known that they needed more volunteers, perhaps they could have found some. They could have signed some people up to have done this. They could have done something. They could have done anything to make this event happen had they only known the urgency of the needs for the event. And they told me this because they said there are so many other urgent things that are happening in their life 
They needed that information to assess their own management of time and the way their family invests in different activities and how they steward their time. And I thought I was so helpful to hear that feedback from that community of people around that. And when we read this scripture, there's a sense of deep urgency that God is trying to communicate to those of us who have relationship with God. And the urgency is this, that the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. We can try to minimize the intensity of this text, but I just don't think we can. It will be like the flood. Two people will be standing in the field and one will be left behind and one will be taken up with the Son of Man. There's an urgency to this scripture. Matthew is clear about this. Jesus is clear about this. There is an urgency here. And so here's an honest problem I think we face in our context in life here, in Silicon Valley, in our life here. Everything feels urgent. Everything feels urgent. There's so many urgent things in how we decide what we do and how we do them. Everything feels urgent, but the one thing that does not feel urgent is church. Honestly, the one thing that does not feel urgent is church and relationship with God. I've heard stories over the past few months too about sports teams that force commitments from families when their children join these teams, and they have clear expectations about what their involvement will look like as they're a part of that sports team that they cannot miss. There's very few unexcused absences that are allowed. And yet, they schedule games and events in the evenings and on Saturdays and on Sundays, of course. We don't require anyone to come to church. Friends, Christianity is not performance-based. It is not performance-based. We don't require anyone to come to church. We don't require you to do anything to be in a relationship with God. Following laws and rules is not what moves you into a more intimate relationship with God. We get to have a relationship with God. It's not a thing that we must do or we have to do, but we get to do it. God is inviting us into relationship. And as a result of that relationship, preparing ourselves preparing ourselves for the unexpected hour when Christ comes again is a part of this meaningful relationship with God. And there's a sense of urgency to preparing ourselves for the coming of Christ. In Luke chapter two, we see a story about a people who are prepared, who are ready for the coming of Christ. Shepherds are out in the fields watching their flocks at nighttime. They're tending to their sheep. And then suddenly out of nowhere, an angel of the Lord appears to them and terrifies the shepherds. The shepherds are terrified. And the angel tells them, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, shepherds. For see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. A savior is born this day who is the Messiah, the Lord. The shepherds, they've been preparing for this moment all their life. They know what it's like to care for others, to care for sheep. They have some sense of the words Messiah, the words Lord, the words of great joy for all the people. They were prepared and they were ready to receive this word that was spoken by the angel to them and they acted on it and they followed that and they heard the invitation to go see what God was doing in Bethlehem. So they went, they went. If we look back at the story of Noah, 
Of course, there's the really scary components of it, for sure. But there's also the sense in which Noah was prepared. Noah had heard the urgent request to prepare himself, his family, and all these animals to, to get them into the ark. And after it's all over, one of the beautiful things that happens in Genesis chapter nine is that when God put a rainbow into the clouds, as you see in this beautiful piece of artwork, God says that whenever you see a rainbow, it will remind me of my faithfulness to you and that my presence to you will be one of salvation. And it's a reminder of God's covenant relationship with us, that God will be a presence of salvation and life for humanity. God will not ever destroy us again with the flood, but will save us and take care of us. Christianity is not performance-based. This is what I think is so difficult with us to get our mind around on this text, yet it is urgent. It's not performance-based, but it's also very urgent when it comes to following Jesus. The Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. It's coming at an unexpected hour. Earlier this year, my wife and I, we taught Financial Peace University here at the church, and it was a nine-week class. It spanned over three months, and at the beginning of our class, our daughter was about 14 months old, 15 months old, and she had really intense separation anxiety. And for parents who know what's that like, it's really difficult to see your children crying, especially that hard. And she doesn't normally cry. She will jump off of stairs and hit her head on something and just keep on going. She's just fine. But she cried so hard at the separation anxiety of us dropping her off to that room where she was getting taken care of during those nine weeks. Yet every week it got a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, to the point where we were on the eighth week of this class and she was excited to go to church. She would tell us about it in the car, church, church, church. And she said, what are you excited about? And she would make a dinosaur noise. Because there was dinosaurs and there was baby dolls she'd get to play with and there were her new friends that she'd made in the class. There was new friends that she'd made in the nursery. And then it turned out that I was the one with separation anxiety. <laughs> she <laughs> ran out of my arms into that church classroom and into the church nursery. And I just kept thinking to myself after this nine weeks of seeing this happen and unfold in the life of my little girl, had we turned around that first day when it was so hard, when she was so full of tears and so difficult, and we just said, nah, I'm, I'm not gonna do this anymore because I'm, I'm afraid of her crying too much in this situation. And no doubt this is a really hard thing to manage and to parent through, okay? I'm not saying, you know, everybody will have their own way of parenting through separation anxiety. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I'm just trying to say for us, I think we realized that she would have missed out on this richness of relationship with people in the life of the church, richness with relationship with um, the people who are here, the dinosaurs in the nursery, all those good things. I mean, she feels a sense of warmth and comfort and welcome in this place as a result of having the hard work of being present, of showing up for nine weeks straight. This is what I mean, it's not performance-based. It's relationship. And part of growing into this relationship with God is about showing up, is about preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. Going back to that Facebook post, yeah, many dads said they struggled with forming loving relationships with their children too. It, it took time, it took a long time. And, 
And perhaps for some people, they still didn't feel that sense of loving relationship. They were trying to form in their own selves what that was gonna look like to be a parent to a child and to have that loving relationship. It took time. And when we talk about our relationship with God, it takes time. Having a deep and loving connection does not happen immediately with God. It usually comes at an unexpected hour. It could be nine weeks, could be nine months, it could be a long time. And yet, as we prepare ourselves for that unexpected hour, it only adds a richness to that relationship all the more. Truly, there is a joy that was experienced by those shepherds while they were watching over their flock, and they heard about this joy that was gonna go out to all the world. And I'm sure for the disciples that heard the urgency of this thing in front of them, that the Son of Man was coming at an unexpected hour, they felt prepared themselves too, and they felt like they knew the richness of what was being said to them in that moment. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement to all of us this Advent season is not to make this season a season of rules or of laws or of things we must do, but I hope you hear the invitation in the midst of the urgency of the coming of the Son of Man. There is an invitation here to relationship with God, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Truly, the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And this is what is so strange about Christmas, actually, is that we rehearse the coming at the same time every year, and we remember the coming of the birth of Christ. But in our here and now, Christ is coming again at truly an unexpected hour. So let's prepare ourselves for that reality and lean into the urgency of what we hear here in Matthew's gospel. And as we do this, I believe we will hear what the angel says to the shepherds all the more and know it all the more in who we are. That God says to us, do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. So may we not be afraid at the coming of this great joy, but let's prepare for the coming of the Son of Man at an unexpected hour. Join me in a word of prayer. God, you are coming at an unexpected hour, and there is an urgency to this coming. And what we might do as a result of that coming to prepare ourselves. Lord, form in us the richness of relationship with you. And may it be amplified in the season of Advent as we prepare our hearts, our minds, our souls, our love for you in this next 24 days through Advent. Lord, bless this season and bless our lives as we draw closer to you and as we prepare our hearts for the coming of the Son of Man. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.